African-American culture and beyond. Dr. Gordon, welcome back to KBLA Talk 1580, sir. I'm delighted to be back, Tavis. Yes. How are you doing? Man, if I complained, I'd be an ingrate. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to have you back. Glad we have an hour to sort of unpack this. Um, I should tell you, the audience knows this, um, because June is Black Music Month, every day uh, this month we've been uh, picking out a particular artist, uh, an iconic artist, and playing the best of their stuff all three hours of our program. And so we've been uh, weaving in some blues uh, today uh, in preparation for this conversation, this hour with you. Um, but it, it, it's a, it's amazing to me, uh, even still, uh, the imprint, the indelible imprint that we have had, uh, black folk have had on it, on, 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 on every musical genre. Uh, and yet it seems to me that you can't talk about the African-American music tradition without talking, without centering in that conversation, jazz and the blues. In this conversation, we want to focus on the blues. So when I say the blues, you think what for starters? When you say the blues, I say, in fancy language, the leitmotif of modern life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and leitmotif for the uh, audience is basically the soundtrack, the music mm -hmm. that accompanies the events. And yeah, and the blues, the blues is the leitmotif. We could say of Euro modern life, because Euro modern life tries to deny what is not European and what is not white, and the resistance, the speaking back, the truth about the suffering, the misery, but at the same time, the paradoxical joy, struggle, and affirmation of dignity, that is in the blues. Yeah. Let me start. I, I could have come to this later, uh, but let me just do it now because I want to just, just jump right in. Um, I was in New York not long ago and um, spent some time with my dear friend and brother, uh, Wynton Marsalis. Uh, it just happened to be, while I was there, the last uh, performance of the season for jazz at Lincoln Center. Uh, I shared this a, a few weeks ago when I got back from New York, I think, uh, with the audience. Uh, but I spent some time at Winton, went, went to the performance, had a great time as always. Afterwards, he and I hung out, as we always do. And um, I heard um, Winton is now above 60, uh, and was the first, mm -hmm. first time ever he and I were talking, I'm... I, Hope I'm not speaking out of school here, uh, on on a public media platform. <laughs> but uh, he was talking for the first time about about retirement and how much longer he was going to do this jazz at Lincoln Center. Oh thing. no, into no. That, that's exact. That's exactly <laughs> what I told him. That's exactly what I said to him. He was talking about you know how much longer he was going to do this, and um, you know how beloved he is uh, in this space, and he is the ambassador for jazz in this country around the globe. As a matter of fact, for three months now, he's. Somewhere on the other side of the world, he's literally traveling uh, internationally for three months with the Jazz at Lincoln Center uh, Band Orchestra. So um, we were talking uh, again uh, about how much long he's going to do this. And I heard in his voice once again, Dr. Uh, Gordon, uh, Dr. Dr. Gordon, as I've heard any number of times, I heard in his voice this sort of melancholy uh, about all that he has done. And yet he feels that he has not yet gotten his own people um, to re-embrace, if I can put it that way. Uh, to fall in love again uh, in late modernity with this art form, this music form that we have created. He looks out into audiences every night, uh, not just internationally, of course, but in this country, and he sees primarily white folk in the audience. Um, and that, that troubles him, um, that we aren't embracing this thing that we created in the way that we should. And that's jazz. The same could be said, and is going to be said, because I'm going to say it now, <laughs> of the blues. 
when you go see B.B. King, God rest his soul, when you go see Buddy Guy, who's still doing it, when you see uh, these other, the few that are still al are, are alive, when you see these iconic black blues artists in concert and you look at the audience, as I do, when I go see them, the audience doesn't look anywhere near like me. Uh, and that's that's a reality that we need to wrestle with. So let's just wrestle with that at the top. Take it away. Sure. Well, the first thing is uh, uh, there's, there are two ways that dominate the way white folks, not every white folk, but in general, white folks uh, like to look at black uh, aesthetic production. Mm -hmm. And, and w one of them basically is in the, it has the, the, the echo of the museum. In other words, the extent to which we, we become legitimate, but paradoxically through an illegitimacy in terms of being a living art, if we can be placed in something to be looked at as a, a fragment or a figment of the past. Mm -hmm. this, the second one is straightforwardly connected to the economy of music, and that is the, the, the form of exploitation where at the level not of in necessarily individuals, but at the level of how the art is structured, it takes on uh, an expectation of a form of, of, of do domestication through which it is, I think the iconic example is minstrelsy, mm -hmm. which makes it into entertainment, where it can become blackface. Now, people may wonder, what do I mean by that? But I think a real brilliant critique of this was uh, Jordan Peele with Get Out. Mm-hmm. In other words, the desire to see something uh, in the appearance of black, but beneath it is a white looking back. And that uh, represents a kind of affirmation or stabilization of the political order. But I could put it uh, in, in many ways, because, you know, I also am a musician. Sure. I play jazz and blues. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I remember back, oh man, this was in the, in the late 70s. And so this is how early this stuff began. I remember we were setting up in a club one day, and I thought I would just invite some. I saw some kids on the street. This was a black neighborhood, too. And I said, uh, you know, yo, you want to come in? We're going to be uh, just doing a sound check. You can check out some music. And they were like, yeah, what do you play? And we said, jazz. And they said, jazz? Oh, yeah, that's white people's music. Mm -hmm. And you could imagine how heartbroken a lot of us were. And that led me to meditating for, for a long time. I would say right now, it's, you know, it's more than 40 years on this. Let, let, me, let me cut in one second. Um, I, 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 let me um, cut in for a minute. When we come forward, I want to hear what that meditation was. I, I, could, I could hear you teeing that up and ramping up. I didn't want to have to cut you off in the middle of the story uh, of what you've been cogitating on and med meditating on all these years. So I want to hear that meditation and that cogitation. When we come forward, um, he is, as he said, uh, an artist himself, but he's also a brilliant public intellectual. His name is Dr. Lewis Gordon. We're talking in this hour about the impact of the blues on KBLA Talk. We're talking about the blues in this hour. We went to break with She Loves You With a Feeling. That was Taj Mahal, in case you didn't know. That was Taj Mahal. And this, of course, is Nina Simone as we talk in this hour about the blues. Our guest in this hour is a jazz and blues musician himself, Dr. Lewis Gordon. Uh, and um, just before that break, he was, he was starting to tell us a story. Uh, of uh, being in a black neighborhood one day and inviting some black kids in to listen to some music 
that they were playing. And they asked, uh, the kids asked, what are you playing? And they said, we're playing jazz. And, the, and the, these black kids said, jazz? That's white folks' music. And that story, that anecdote, uh, was shared by Dr. Gordon because we were in, a midst of a, in the midst of a conversation about how it is and why it is that these two unique art forms that we have created, uh, specifically jazz and the blues, are not being embraced by us in real time. Uh, in the ways that this music is being embraced by others. And it's troubling to Wynton Marsalis, who is the great ambassador for jazz these days, and many of us who are fans of the music, troubling to us as well. So Dr. Gordon picked the story up of uh, of these black boys saying that uh, they didn't want to come in and listen to you guys play because jazz is white folks' music, and you were saying that you have been meditating on that for almost 40 years now, meditating on it, cogitating on it. So tell me what you've come up with. Well, sure. I mean, as I said, that that remark from the, those uh, <clears throat> boys broke my heart. But irony of ironies, when we went in, the uh, uh, the two we were playing was Oliver Nelson's Stolen Moments. Mm-hmm. So you could imagine the irony of that. Mm-hmm. And that's also a blues. It's jazz, but it's also blues. And, and I noticed that you were playing 12-bar blues. And one of the things about the blues, of course, is that the blues is a music that is also a form of adult sensibility of bringing the tragic dimensions of life and the responsibility of it to the fore. But what I was thinking about over the years, as you know, the blues never left us. Uh, the blues, the blues takes many forms and it has been the, 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 the wellspring from which so many other kinds of music have come out. Not only R and B rock and roll, uh, but all the way through to reggae, to hip hop, samba, all of that comes out, come out of the blues. So there's a living blues, that blues sensibility, as Amira Baraka would put it, in blues people. And what I began to realize is the mistake we make is if we want to freeze one incarnation of what we do as the only version through which to do it, mm-hmm. what we need to do is to do what the Akan, the people of Ghana, a, a, a particular group of people in, a, in Ghana point out in the term Sankofa, Sankofic. And it means it, it's exemplified by the bird moving forward that reaches back to pick up something it left behind. And what we need to do is to work hard at a connection, not only between the movements we have for liberation, but also to find a way for our youth and, and, and the contemporary forms to connect to those of the past in a kind of living dialogue with the present. Mm. And there were jazz musicians who did a lot. That was what they did for me. I mean, like I, as an adolescent, got to hang out and play with people like Roy Eldridge, Eddie Locke, got to meet Frank Foster, Billy Taylor, all those people, but also blues musicians of so many kinds. So the thing, what I think, uh, what, I, what I would say is that what we need to do, and it's a very crucial thing to do, and I do this in my writings, in my books, and I see others. Cornell, Brother Cornell once mm-hmm, does that too. Mm-hmm. A lot of us need to, 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 to bring to the forefront the understanding of how intergenerations should connect. And that is where one can develop the appreciation. Now, there's a real serious problem with the political economy around music. If you're going to have a, an art form in places where just, just frankly, a lot of people just can't afford it. Mm-hmm. They don't get that access. I had the good fortune of the 70s where these were being played in the parks. They were being played... And, and also, people just bring you into nightclubs and just let you, get, let you get to hear it. So we need to bring a sort of living connection to the music. 
And the thing that's important about it is the complexity of what this music offers to our past, but also for young people to know that they're part of something very special. And what I mean by that is, it, 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 you know, a lot of the rudeness you would hear in some contemporary hip-hop, <laughs> if you listen to some old, old blues, RB, whether it's Bessie Smith, Ma Rainey, or Dinah Washington, mm-hmm. you hear some really clever lines around dealing with the complexities of racism, sexuality, many of the issues that young people are concerned with today. Yeah. Um, if Wynton Marsalis or uh, my friend Buddy Guy were a part of this conversation right now, they would push back on you and the notion that people can't afford it. And I know exactly what you mean. Getting a ticket to go to Lincoln Center and to hear Wynton Marsalis is not necessarily cheap. But if Wynton and Buddy were in this conversation, I can assure you what they'd say because they've said it to me, <laughs> which is that we we spend money on things that we value. Um, we spend money on, on, on technology. We spend money on shoes. We spend money on handbags. We spend money on all kind of stuff because we value those things. So what does it mean? On the one hand, we say we can't afford it. We can't afford to go see Buddy Guy. We can't afford to go see Wynton Marsalis. We can't afford to see whoever, whoever, whoever. Uh, and yet, as we're telling Wynton and Buddy this to their face, what we can't afford, they're looking at our handbag, they're looking at our shoes, they're looking at the watch we're wearing, they're looking at the uh, the other uh, lapels, uh, the, the the labels rather, layers, labels on the stuff that we're that we're sporting that day. But we're telling them that we can't afford it; they ain't buying it. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, it's a similar debate around books. You know, there are people who spend money on all kinds of other things, but they won't buy a book. Exactly. So we're from that we're familiar with, and also in terms of access to music, there's streaming. There are many ways in which to get access to free music. But one of the things about music, especially uh, the, the the kind we're talking about, it's not music that comes out of the blue, right? Um, not, not to be um, yeah. make a pun there. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, it's 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 music that also comes through a form of connectedness to communities. And one of the things I think that's reflected that that uh, uh, Marcellus and some of the others may not be thinking about, or they might be. I don't want to be presumptuous. Mm-hmm. Is that there is a form of erosion of intergenerational communication going on in many black communities mm-hmm. through which to carry this on. Uh, I've noticed, for instance, when I meet whites who are into jazz or into the blues, uh, they all have the same story. It, it was it was introduced to them as a prized possession by their parents or their mentor or somebody like that, mm-hmm. which meant they had an intergenerational experience. Mm-hmm. I know with my kids, it's the same thing. Every day after we would eat a meal or something, we'd go and dance and listen to music of every kind in the living room. They played instruments. So this is one of the crucial things, and this this way of connecting black communities across generations is very crucial. And this is to do it. In some places, you do find black youth who are playing blues and jazz. For instance, in the Hartford area, Jackie McLean, the legacy is there. Jackie McLean went in, went went back to his community, built centers, reached out to you here, Jackie McLean Youth Centers, things like that. But one of the other things that's also a a big difficulty that's happening right now, beyond all that, is that we're talking about a a music that really requires a relationship to instruments. Mm -hmm. In other words, to musicianship. And increasingly increasingly music is produced without musicians. Mm -hmm. 
and that and that absence of that, that kind of ensemble getting together, knowing the intimacies of an acoustical instrument, an electrical instrument that's played, that connects to communities, that is that is also being lost. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't revive it in different ways, but if we do it, we have to be open to the idea that the the, the young people may bring to it a new sensibility. Mm-hmm. You raised two issues now that I um, that I want to probe with you. I'm looking at my clock here. I got about two minutes before news, traffic, and sports. Let me get one of them out now. We'll come back to the, the to the the issue of uh, uh, the relationship of this music to musicians, to real musicians who actually play instruments. We'll come back to that uh, in in a moment. But this notion of cultural erosion uh, jumped out at me because I think you're right. Nah, I think I know you're right about that. I guess the question is: in two minutes, what's the long term impact of this cultural? this musical erosion that we are experiencing right now, even as we talk about music in Black Music Month. What's the long-term impact of that, you see? I think the long-term impact is that it's symptomatic of generations that would actually create a situation of an absence of control and agency. To put it differently, there's a paradox we're dealing with, which is that as youth articulate themselves as rebellious Increasingly, youth are actually more conservative, and this conservatism is going to have an impact that will separate generations because the older generations become increasingly distant from the rules of the younger generation. But that's a longer conversation, but it's something I'm heavily concerned with, which is the paradoxical conservatism of contemporary youth. Um, let me let me probe a little bit further. I got another thirty seconds here. So, where 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 if I had the time, where would that conversation take us? That conversation would take us into the direction of political nihilism, which mm-hmm. is something we talked about earlier. Yeah, because it leads to the notion that you could only it only makes sense to deal with what you individually can control, but political life requires community participation just like jazz and the blues are ultimately about communities. Yeah. Um, so there's your answer to the, the cultural erosion piece. When we come forward after news, traffic, and sports, I want to come back to this other point he makes, which is that if you're going to be a blues musician, you got to play an instrument. I mean, you can be a vocalist, but there's a connection to the, to, to the instrument. Uh, uh, same with jazz. Uh, and that's just not the way music is being done today. And that's not to cast dispersion on the good stuff that we're getting. Uh, but it does take us right back again, full circle, to this, this notion of cultural erosion. And whether or not in the Junes to come, in the Junes of our future, what will the conversation about black music be like uh, if we have surrendered uh, our agency, if we've walked away, moved away from that relationship with jazz and with the blues, which we're discussing in this hour, that requires somebody to play some instrument. Um, A great deal more to unpack when we come forward, celebrating the blues in June, Black Music Month. In this hour, with Dr. Lewis Gordon, you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley, Finn Robinson on KBLA Talk 1580, as we talk about the blues in this hour. Our guest is uh, Dr. Lewis Gordon. You're listening, by the way, to KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley, our phone number one 800 920-1580. We've been celebrating uh, Black Music Month all this month of June, and we're running out of days here. Uh, and so we uh, are spending an hour uh, of this uh, program talking about the impact of the blues, the indelible mark that it has left on the musical landscape and why it is so many of us seem not to be embracing it, or for that matter, jazz these days, uh, in the way we once did, even though we created uh, this music, uh, these music art forms that are now embraced by people all around the world. 
Uh, but when you go to shows, jazz shows and blues shows, the audience does not look like us. Uh, and that is troubling for many of the artists I've spoken to over the years who are on the stage looking back at the audience. Uh, they get troubled by the fact that so many of their own people uh, are not supporting uh, the music as uh, uh, as it were. We were talking to Dr. Gordon moments ago about, <clears throat> excuse me, cult- <clears throat> talking about cultural erosion and the impact of that long term. Uh, but the other point you made was uh, that <laughs> the relationship to jazz uh, and blues means you have to have a relationship to instruments, instrumentation and playing uh, those things. Uh, and again, we're in a moment right now where there are fewer and fewer players, a lot of performers, but fewer and fewer players. What's the impact of that reality long term? Yep. That was a fine distinction you made between performers and uh, musicians. Mm -hmm. And part of that is right now, as we know, what's dominating questions of blackness and black communities is entertainment versus art. And the thing about it, about art, art is not only more demanding, but art also requires a level of understanding that enables one to be innovative on an instrument. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it, like, for instance, when I was thinking about our... um, Discussion today, I sent out a tweet from my uh, book, Fair Black Consciousness, and there's a whole section, chapter 11, called Blue, which is about the blues. Mm -hmm. And the tweet I put was just a quote from it that says, to produce music in which the lives and aspirations of black people matter, and to do so at the level of musical virtuosity that few white performers can match, it's already an affront to anti-black racist society. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the you know there's there's a South African philosopher by the name of Maboso More, and he wrote a memoir in which he said the pride black South Africans felt in hearing African American music in the form of the blues and jazz, they, and knowing knowing that even if you pick the best of the best white performers, very very few could match this. <laughs> there's just a scale of mm-hmm. what was being performed there. <laughs> That was an extraordinary source of pride. And you know what's interesting is they're white folks. If you see the Blues Brothers movie, you know, and it's the 43rd anniversary of the Blues Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. It's the white guys, you know, but it's a homage to black music. The oh, yeah. oh, yeah. I mean, that Ray Charles scene on Shake a Tail, Shake a Tail Feather, mm-hmm. or even the, the Shaka Khan, James Brown, all of them in the church scene, all of that. Even though it's a movie, they're, 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 the artistry, that's involved. These are some of the finest musicians ever. Mm-hmm. And so this, what is symptomatic there, of course, is this, and this is the other quote I posted. Anti-black racism relaxes when black people are reduced to entertainment mm-hmm. instead of the challenge and complexity of art. Mm-hmm. Bebop, for example, which is a genre of blues music in the form of jazz. A lot of people don't realize the blues influences on bebop, transcends the misery of stereotypical blackness. You know, Frantz Fanon loved bebop for that reason. He understood that that ultimately the 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 meeting of complex narrative, the ability to tell a story like what you were just playing, or even when we think about something like Arthur Lee, what he does, you know, everybody's gotta live. It's really striking that that's reintroduced to audiences now through I mean, he passed away, but you know, uh, I think it's Mac Miller, the white musician, did his version of it. But the fact of the matter is there are so many popular white songs that a lot of people don't know are black songs that come out of this art form. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I know that among my favorite hip-hop artists, a lot of them do have this blues sensibility. 
because they're also excellent musicians as well, like Michelle and Jay Ocello. Mm-hmm. But also when I think of some of the best of most deaf, you know, best, you know, Black on Both Sides, that album. That is, for me, that's a blues album. But I also, I also see this blues sensibility that's coming out again in certain kinds of films. Because even though some people may knock certain things in that, you know, really high popular culture stuff, the, uh, the Spider-Verse film, is a, I see that as an extraordinary blues film. Mm. Because it has... It has not only the music in there, but it also has the dissonance by having worlds that were that were designed to be separated meeting. And this is a crucial thing about blues that people miss, because blues is a music that is able to make beauty out of dissonance. It's a point at which if people talk about the blue tone, the blue note. There's a way in which, for instance, one of here's a great exemplar of this. I was just listening to um. Biz Marquis, mm-hmm. you know that you know that really funny song he has. You know, you got what I need. Oh yeah, know? oh yeah. baby, you you got yeah, what I right. need. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> it's a great, you say he's great, just a friend. Great, yeah, I got you. A friend. Yeah. yeah, but what's so great about it? So great about it is that what makes it beautiful. He's just singing off key, and that is remarkable. Because it brings the humanity and the pathos right there, and 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 he does it also in the vapors, his other his other tune. But mm-hmm. my point is that is that this is music that is produced by a people in a world in which a certain conception of music says it is illegitimate ever to be out of tune. Mm-hmm. But what do you do if you're an out of tune people? In other words, and what you've got to do if you're an out-of-tune people is make music. And this music is able to listen to the notes between the notes. And this is some of the things that I love about some of the stuff that Winter Marcellus does as well. Mm-hmm. And we can see it all over the place. But, but again, this is about musicianship. And we have to remember, too, that most musicians in the, blue, in, in the blues legacy were not trained musicians. Many can't even read music. So this is music that's coming from their heart, from yeah. their soul. But the, the complexity, the genius of the music, this is something that is that we need to carry on. And I actually am actually optimistic that we will. But we'd have to have another conversation yeah. about why that is so. I'm I'm I'm, I'm scribbling stuff down as fast as I can so I don't forget it because you said so much I didn't want to interrupt. But let me let me let me jump in with a few things. First of all, let me go right back five minutes ago to your your uh, invocation of the of the movie, The Blues Brothers, and you mentioned some great scenes. We left one out, and she's my girl, so I want to give her her props. Uh, I love the Ray Charles scene, uh, Shake a Tail Feather. I love 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 the scene uh, with Chaka uh, and James Brown in the church. But Aretha in the cafeteria. That's a cold piece too. Aretha in the cafeteria. Aretha in the cafeteria. So we got to give in Aretha. Got to give her her love. We uh, got to get. We got to give a shout out to to yes yes we have to give it to to, to Aretha and her pink Cadillac there absolutely you, there you go now she killed but, that thing you, in the cafeteria yeah yeah the, the other, she killed it but you know did you check out her sisters in that a, absolutely absolutely yeah the chorus no the reason I want to the reason I want to bring this up this is really crucial I've yeah. been having a conversation on this issue a lot of people today talk about authority mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. But they don't make the distinction between authority and what it is to be authoritative. Mm. If, you're an, if you're an authority who's not authoritative, you have to force people to follow you, and you become authoritarian. Mm. 
which is the problem we're having right now. Good Lord, good Lord, good Lord, Doc. Come on, come on, come on. But but if you're authoritative, (laughs) you are admitting accountability to a community. And the right, that's why in at the heart of the question of, 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 of black people in America, in, a, in the United States, because you see, the United States was not premised on democracy. It was the idea of being a republic, but it's black people and indigenous peoples who pushed it into the question of democracy because it says it, it reaches out and asks for accountability. You Authoritativeness requires accountability. And whenever you hear the chorus in music, you know, the chorus, the, the chorus, yeah. it, especially in black music, it's not, it's not just about hype. You notice that when she said, you better think, her mm-hmm. sister says, think. That's it. <laughs> that repetition, repetition in the blues is also an affirmation of truth and authoritativeness. So implicit in it, this is also something, every blues song, every form of black music, is not about someone singing really to themselves, but to a community about accountability. Yeah. And that's a political message for our time. This is why I love Dr. Lewis Gordon. I, I can't even keep up. Uh, blues uh, is uh, making beauty out of dissonance. That's what we do as a people. We make beauty out of dissonance, not just musically, but in everything we touch. We uh, turn dissonance uh, into beauty. Uh, his notion that something is wrong when black people get reduced to entertainers and not regarded or respected for our artistry. You don't want to just be reduced to an entertainer. What about celebrating and reveling in our artistry? And then that brilliant breakdown of authority, authoritative, and authoritarian. Uh, And we just spent an hour talking about the authoritarian, Mr. Trump, uh, in our first hour. And then that last point about being an out-of-tune people. That's what we are. We are an out-of-tune people. And yet, look at all that we've done uh, singing off-times off key. Uh, I love Mary J. Blige, but if you know music, Mary ain't never sang on key. Mary sings above the note. She sees underneath the note. Mary will not sing on key, and yet she's the queen of hip-hop soul, and she ain't never sang nothing on key, but she's brilliant. And then he mentioned our, our brother, Biz Marquis. We are an out-of-tune people, and yet look at all that we've accomplished musically and beyond. You can't fade Lewis Gordon. More of him when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. Tabby Smiley, our guest in this hour is Dr. Lewis Gordon, and we are talking about the uh, undeniable and indelible imprint of the blues on the musical landscape in this country and indeed around the globe. And I'm still just wrestling with some of the brilliance he just uh, he just laid out. Um, I, I want to come back to this notion that you raised, uh, Dr. Gordon, uh, as we talk about the blues in this hour. Uh, we played so many great artists in this hour, and we'll play get, maybe get one or two more in. Um, maybe we'll get some more. Find me another Taj Mahal track, uh, Miles. Um, as a matter of fact, um, I, I forgot to tell you the one I want. Uh, Taj knows I love this. Um, she caught the Katie. She caught the Katie. We're gonna give me some of that in a second here from from Taj Mahal. Um, but you were saying, Doctor Gordon, before before that break, um, that there's a danger when our people blues artist or beyond get into get, get get reduced reduced to just being entertainers uh and not celebrated for our artistry say a, just a bit more about that because that, that that's that's a powerful distinction for me sure entertainment in a nutshell is a distraction 
art digs into the human condition. Mm. When we dig into the human condition, we are asserting our humanity. And the whole project of anti-black racism, colonialism, all of that stuff is to degrade, disempower us, to take away our humanity. Mm. And my point about us even being out of, out of tune, the whole point is who wants to really fit in a society that tells us we are, we are, we are lesser, mm. we're, we're, we, 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 are, we, you know, that we somehow, that existence is better without us. That's, that's nonsense. So mm. what we do is we articulate a life through, that's worth living. And this is one of the reasons why so much, so much of, of, of I mean, just per artist, we could spend an hour on. I mean, mm-hmm. and it, and not only people from B.B. King all the way to, to Diana Washington, but even we think of somebody like Marvin Gaye, the range of, 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 of his abilities. Or we think about the complex ways in which the music connects to many other societies, the way Alice Coltrane did, mm-hmm. in the way she connects African-American music with the East. And we, we could just go on and on. So, but But every one of those is us ultimately standing up and in the, in the in, at the level of aesthetic production, doing the equivalent of that protester in Memphis when Dr. Martin Luther King was 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 assassinated. The man, the, those protesters who had those signs, "I am a man." Mm-hmm. We could say, "We are a people. We are a person. We are human beings." And every moment in which that music shines, transforms and goes to the deeper level of the human condition. And by deeper, I mean, you and I know this. Right now in Beijing, there's somebody listening to the blues. Right now in New Zealand, there's someone listening to the blues in Siberia. And right now, across the continent of Africa, there are people listening to the blues. In other words, people could say all their life, the universality of the human condition is coming out of this powerful creative form that's that we 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 have produced here in African America, the Caribbean, and all across the globe through what we call the African diaspora. And out of tune people who make beauty out of dissonance. This is Taj Mahal. Dr. Gordon, I've enjoyed this immensely. I only have uh, two minutes left, though, in this in this conversation. Let me just uh, finally close by asking um, you to say a word about the influence of the blues quickly here on other genres. Oh, I mean, pretty much almost every every genre genre you hear today that we could call um, contemporary popular music it comes out of the blues, all the way e e even to Bangara. If you hear certain forms of uh, Punjabi uh, dance music, mm-hmm. comes out of the blues. If you go to samba, the blues. If you listen to most most Latin Caribbean music, even when people talk about reggaeton, all of that, the blues. I already talked about hip hop. If you already talked about rock and roll, but there are all kinds of other elements that are going at work. And as we see, even if we go to Korean K-pop, you could see a link to the blues. And this is why I say this is the part. This is the the underlying connectedness of the human condition. Ultimately, it's about the affirmation of life. And as long as people are going to move beyond the question of adolescent pleasure into the question of a more adult sensibility of how to live even with sorrow, mm. you will be looking in the eyes and in your heart dealing with the blues. Yeah. 
And that's why we never let misery have the last word. We never let misery have the last word. Uh, that's the blues. Never let misery have the last word. And those are the blues for you. That's the blues for you. Uh, our guest in this hour has been Dr. Lewis Gordon, uh, uh, brilliant uh, public intellectual uh, professor and, of course, a musician himself, jazz and blues musician. Dr. Gordon, I enjoyed this greatly. Thank you for your time. We'll do it again, my friend. So did I. Thank you so much for inviting me. Be my, well, okay? Be well. My great delight to have had you back on.